Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Weekly Market Insights Call. I'm delighted today to be joined by Simon Weber from the Global Team. Simon, welcome. Hey, good morning. Uh, great to see you. Simon, of course, uh, is responsible for many things, but including uh, the Global Climate Change Fund, with which we've been seeing uh, great interest. And so we will be touching on that uh, later in the conversation. Just to get us going, though, here we are. It's that back-to-school moment at uh, the beginning of September. And whilst the economic release calendar was relatively light uh, last week, and of course yesterday was the Labor Day weekend in the States, uh, and so therefore very much a kind of end of summer feel about things, we have come back, I'm afraid, from our holidays to confront an ongoing market environment that is beset by economic uncertainty, by trade uncertainty, and by political uncertainty in different spheres. So from the point of view of trade, we've had the formal introduction of tariffs that have uh, hit the headlines over the weekend uh, between the US and China. Uh, clearly, we've got the sense of uh, ongoing economic malaise, perhaps best typified at the moment by uh, what's going on in Germany, uh, where, for example, retail sales last week surprised further to the downside. Uh, they actually fell by 2.1% month on month, um, which was over a percentage point worse than had been expected. And of course, I speak to you here from London, uh, where the political arena around Brexit uh, is reaching further fever pitch. Uh, last night, there was, I speak to you on Tuesday morning, last night on Monday, there was an address by Prime Minister Boris Johnson, where effectively, uh, he was saying to his fellow MPs, uh, back me and uh, don't vote for the motion uh, that's going to be proposed by the so-called uh, rebellion faction trying to prevent a no-deal Brexit. Uh, back me, otherwise uh, risk a very early general election, uh, one that could be called as early uh, for the middle of October. Uh, with that in mind, uh, the reaction from sterling uh, perhaps has been the most significant uh, evolution, which is, as I understand it, dipped below 120 uh, this morning. So, Simon, with that as a kind of um, backdrop, um, I'm very reminded of, of conversations that I had earlier in the year with uh, Alex um, uh, from your team. Uh, around a, a kind of, to use a dreadful football part, it's a game of two halves. Um, and the first half of the year, in terms of traveling and hoping, being rather easier than uh, the second half of the year. Um, maybe just begin with, what's your sense of aggregate market sentiment? Um, aggregate market sentiment's undoubtedly weak. I mean, there's a lot of, con lot of concern, a lot of worry um, by market participants that that second half recovery that companies were hoping for or promising um, certainly doesn't look like it's um, about to come through. In fact, if anything, we're still getting this slow grinding to a halt of many economic drivers, uh, corporate confidence, um, consumer spending, um, even slowing now, which had been the main driver of of the economy. So, with you know, with a few exceptions, which we could maybe you know touch on of industries where we think can improve. Um, in general, um, we don't see the conditions for a second half earnings recovery or improvement that many have been hoping and therefore we are likely to get some further downward revisions to aggregate estimates. And so against that backdrop, um, which again is very consistent that you know the story that the team has been telling all year, are you have you been moving uh, more quote unquote defensive? Um, 
we have at the margin, yes. Um, we haven't been doing you know wholesale changes in portfolios because we feel we've got a fairly balanced position. And you'll, you'll have this natural bias towards quality as a team as well. We do, and that's one of the, the challenges is that on many measures, quality looks very expensive. Quality has done well, and it certainly helped our portfolios. And you have almost this dichotomy, two markets at the moment, where econ- economic cyclicals are um, almost synonymous with value at the moment. There's a lot of uh, cheap cyclicals and quality businesses, whether defensive or cyclical, have been repriced higher. And so it's getting harder to find those kind of quality defensives at at attractive prices and we're having to to look very carefully for them. So traditional um, defensives would include sectors like consumer staples. Where do they feature right now in your thinking? Well, we do have um, still about, we have about benchmark weight exposure to consumer staples in many of our portfolios, but we have been reducing it. And that's because this sector in particular has acted like the inverse of a bond yield, a classic bond proxy, and um, the sector's looking very expensive relative to the rest of the market and to its own history. So that is not one of the areas defensive that we think is offering good value at the moment. So just to bring that expensiveness to, to like, if you've got, I mean, Procter & Gamble, for example, what sort of <coughs> multiples that on right now? Yeah, if we take a Procter & Gamble or a Nestle um, as two, you know, mega cap consumer staples, they're on 22, 23 times forward earnings. And, you know, for companies that are delivering 3% organic growth, okay, it's good and investors um, like scarcity. that. It's, exactly. So therefore, I, I, I get that that's um, slightly eye-watering as a multiple. Um, what therefore, you know, where else are you being able to see uh, value in that more defensive arena? One of the areas that we do like and have been um, adding exposure to this year is, is, is pharma. Now, pharmaceuticals, don't have quite the same stability characteristics of a typical consumer branded company because you have to you have patents they expire you and have political and, risk on a level as well and you have political risk and that's been the big thing that's held back the sector this year is the upcoming US presidential election in 2020 which looks 50-50 at the moment if you believe the the betting markets and the polls and so there's a lot of uncertainty who will be the next regime and and certainly the democratic uh, candidates are all talking about quite extensive reform and drug pricing. And in fact, it might be one area where Democrats and Republicans ag- can agree and do some policy. But for that reason, the sector has been held back and we do find some very good quality, innovative companies like, for example, Roche, um in, in Switzerland. They're, they're delivering high single digit organic growth at the moment, yet because of this political risks on 13 times earnings. Right. Um, and so therefore, that kind of valuation discrepancy and if you like a lot of bad news or risk factored in and I think interesting to juxtapose that with uh, the consumer staple multiples that you were talking about before so you're in that sense tempted yes great Um, and then other sort of more again um, uh, perhaps to summarize slightly dull sector the utility sector value there and and that's for me is real tin hat time when one retreats to utilities yeah, and um, you know, I think the whole market, but you know, including us, is spending a bit more time on the utility sector than we um, have done for for many years. Um, we have some exposure there, but we're underweight, and you know, do think the sector faces a lot of challenges too. So we're we're not getting too carried away. For example, there's a huge need for a lot of investment to support the energy transition uh, towards cleaner energy. Utilities need to 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 make that at those investments, so they need to put a lot of cash into that investment. And at the same time, are politicians prepared to give them 
good pricing and good returns to get a return on that investment. But where we can find good, stable political and regulatory regimes, then that is also a sector that we, you know, we find some exposure. Yes, then uh, that echoes a, a sentiment that Patrick Vogel was talking about when he was um, on the on the call a couple of weeks back, where he expressed very similar uh, sentiments against the backdrop of the uncertainty and felt that he'd harvested uh, most of the available return um, from the more um, growthy parts of, uh, of of his credit universe and was in that sense moving more defensive. Um, he also um, was interested in more asset-backed sectors and, and, and real estate, for example, is another form of defense. Is that something that would be appealing to, 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 to the team? Um, not, not so much for us. I mean, when, we're, when you look around the world, there's a lot of um, real estate markets that have issues. Obviously, Hong Kong's under pressure because of the um, political events there. In, in Germany, which is one area where we had looked at property companies, and there the Berlin government's trying to introduce a rent freeze. So there's quite a lot of political noise around the real estate sector because real estate prices are quite high as a result of quantitative easing and asset price inflation. And, you know, that's an issue for the, the users of, of, of real estate. So it, we don't find that sector too straightforward. In the past, um, the team has been very vocal about technology uh, and clearly uh, has been an engine for growth uh, and one of the things that's underpinned some of the sort of distorted pattern of returns within, for example, the US market. Uh, where, where, what's the current thinking on tech? We've actually got less exposure to tech than we've had for um, quite some time. And there are two main things going on. Firstly, some cycles. Smartphone demand has been weak. PC demand, you know, not very strong, and that's affected the semiconductor industry. But actually, that issue we think is coming to a towards an end, and we're optimistic going into the end of this year and, and next year that semiconductor end markets can recover. So we've got quite so DRAM pricing having troughed a bit. Or? Yeah, memory DRAM pricing troughed. Uh, we think the inventory has been worked out from from much of the smartphone. Um, supply chain, so you can get a bit of a natural cyclical recovery there. The bigger worry is actually uh, the issues and the headwinds created by the US-China trade war, although it's more than a trade war, it's this technology uh, battle for supremacy, and the very high-profile um, banning of Huawei and US technology companies supplying Huawei has led to quite a big fall off in orders for those companies. But what the interesting thing now is, even though Huawei is reordering and is selling quite well in many of its products again, some of those US suppliers are not getting the orders back. And there's a growing feeling that actually that, maybe that, maybe China has found a, or Huawei have found workaround to some of those US suppliers. In a sense, being self-sufficient or more or, or just finding a different route that doesn't include the United States. Exactly. Um, and when we were chatting before, you alluded to uh, an analog devices conference call, uh, which perhaps really brought this home. Yeah, that, that that was exactly one of the things that woke us up to this issue, is that on their recent second quarter earnings, chief executive was asked about why they hadn't seen a recovery in Huawei orders, given um, that Huawei are selling again in many markets. And he said, well, we we still have the best radio technology. Their, their radio components are used in in, in all these base stations that Huawei supply. And he said, well, we still have the best technology and if you want the best quality product, you will have to buy from us. Maybe there's another way around and that that, that Huawei have been able to sacrifice a little bit of performance um, for a, a, a cheaper um, self-sourced product. And one that is 
you know, less vulnerable to trade friction. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely fascinating the micro to sort of hear a, a live example of where reality bites when it comes to trade friction. Um, because I imagine uh, share price didn't respond that well to that kind of commentary. No, not at all. And, and Simon, what about um, the fangs, which of course, again, have been the, uh, if you like, atlas-like, holding um, holding the world up. Mm-hmm. Um, your stance on, on, on the fang stocks? We, we seem to be well past the phase where the fangs were just all driving um, the market and all performing well. So we think we now have to be very specific. If you take a Netflix, for example, they have a lot more competition. Companies like Disney taking their content back, launching competitive streaming services. Um, So we're not invested at all in Netflix. Um, Two that we do still like are Amazon and Alphabet. Um, Amazon continue to um, grow very strongly, lots of businesses outside of the core. Um, and Alphabet is very reasonably valued. I mean, you know, if I told you that Alphabet was cheaper than Procter and Gamble yeah, um, it, on today's, you know, today's you know free cash flow numbers, um, you know, but what do you think the future growth prospects of both those companies are? You know, in our view, Alphabet still has a very strong, you know, double growing well into the double digits. Right. So, uh, sort of from a, a, a sectoral standpoint, therefore, there has been a bit of a shift um, in terms of migrating more into the defensive areas of the market, selective, yes, in the way that you described, um, and therefore downplaying some of the more uh, expensive and for trade or other reasons challenged areas of, of technology. Is that, a, is that a fair summation? Yep. Um, I said at the beginning that we wanted to take advantage of you being here to talk a little bit about your um, specialist fund, the Global Climate Change Fund. Um, uh, how do you see uh, the opportunity set there? Clearly, on a day-by-day basis, you know, we've, we've got the, whether it's climate change related or not, we've got the uh, horrific storms unfolding in the Bahamas right now. Um, all the publicity that goes with Greta and her mm-hmm. um, voyage across the uh, the Atlantic. Um, and uh, certainly in my own um, sort of home life, the, the kind of level of debate around climate change um, is uh, something that uh, is, is quite different from what it was recently, six months ago. Um, what's going on in terms of kind of the energy transition sphere and other areas, which are you know, the opportunities um, that this site Geist represents? Uh, there's no doubt that whatever, whether we're talking about public opinion, not just in the UK and Europe, it's, it's around the world, uh, whether we're talking about corporate Would you include action. Asia in that or was it a Northern Hemisphere thing? I don't think it's uniform across Asia, but um, there, are, there, are, there are pockets of, um, of, of awareness in Asia that are certainly stronger than any time I've seen in the last um, 12 years that we've been running this strategy. I think the most encouraging and important development in the last 18 months as flagged by Andy Howard in the climate dashboard updates they've been making is the upswell of US public concern. And even though we have an administration in the US who's very um, rolling back environmental regulations, US public opinion has definitely shifted, probably because of the the natural disasters and the connections people are making. Uh, And I think that is the case around the world, whether it's heat waves or natural disasters actual effects of climate change are bringing home to people the need to do something. And I think that's why we see it with our clients at at Schroeder's, but we certainly see it with voters. You just need to look at the recent European elections where Green parties were significant beneficiaries 
and climate or environmental policy looks to be at the heart of European policy for the next for the next session of Parliament. So many, many drivers are moving in the direction of more action, and I think that will in the medium term bode very well for this strategy if you'll forgive me i have to sort of picking up on what you're saying about the political movements i heard today about a new party that's been formed um this is here in the uk forgive me for those of you outside the uk listening um which is called haha the green leaves um i.e those who are aligned with um, green policies but also <laughs> want to leave the eu um so uh, in the context of the fund simon what um um uh, what are you doing what are you most excited about in terms of the opportunity set I'd say the two biggest themes or trends that we're excited about and remain exposed to are one, renewables, wind and solar, super competitive now uh, without subsidy and therefore demand is exploding, particularly for solar, but also technologies like offshore wind, where you don't have to worry about it being in your backyard. Big engineering companies can uh, shift from fossil fuel investment to build an offshore wind farm um, so the the scope for the build out of renewables has never looked better, and that is um, performing quite well for the strategy. Area that we're very excited about, but has been more challenging, is electric vehicles, and that's because we the, the electric vehicle product is coming of age. It's now competitive with combustion engines, and the product quality is good. However. Um, it's not quite where clean energy is in terms of its competitiveness, so it still needs some subsidies. And there has been a change a this year. A support around infrastructure as well. Yeah, there needs to be the build-out of charges. And this year, China's changed their subsidy regime, and it's caused some um, short-term headwinds in that market. So there's a bit of oversupply. So some of our electric vehicle component suppliers that we hold in the fund have not been, been great performers this year. But, you know, nothing nothing that affects their long run growth potential trajectory as they as their as their orders come through great simon thank you very much we're 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 out of time i'm afraid but let me just quickly summarize essentially against the backdrop of the uncertainty that we are all very very familiar with and that keeps coming up on on these calls um uh you and the team have at the margin uh, shifted from a sectoral standpoint uh, to become a little bit more defensive as we go into this final third of the year. And in practice, um, that means looking selectively at opportunities within the healthcare sector, um, to an extent also within utilities, a bit more wary of expensive consumer staples. And that move at the expense of a move away from some of the more out-and-out growth areas such as technology, uh, where the trade tension that we've been seeing is starting to have a real impact in terms of companies as supply chains get reevaluated. And finally, in terms of the global climate change uh, opportunity, it remains structural, it remains powerful. And even if there's some uh, near-term kind of bumps in the road for electric vehicles, actually the structural case for the component suppliers uh, and for electric vehicle penetration aggregate uh, remains unaltered. Simon, thank you very much again for your time. And that concludes this week's call. Thanks to everyone once more for listening.